Some people have very cool jobs and some people have outrageously cool jobs, which is what Max Cuvillier has. He is, uh, I'll let him introduce himself, but he works for the GSMA and he works in development for mobile and mobile for development and how we can use this mobile phenomenon to uplift people's lives. So yeah, he, he works with some very interesting uh, research around the tech hubs in Africa, which is what we're going to talk about today. But Max, just give us a bit of an of introduction about yourself and, and what your division does. Thank you very much. So yeah, Max Kivalia, I work for the, the GSMA. Uh, so we have the Mobile for Development Department, which basically looks at projects that have three things in common. One is mobile technology, because we're the GSMA, Trails Association of Mobile Operators, so that's our core work and expertise. The second one is socioeconomic impact. All our work is, is funded by, by donors, international donors and private donors, DFID being the, the main one. And the third one being looking at business models and commercial sustainability. So we're not we're not a philanthropy. We're really looking at projects that can solve local issues in the long run. And within um, Mobile for Development, I first worked on gender, then did some research, and I set up the Ecosystem Accelerator Program um, about three years ago that provides public funding in the form of grants to startups in Africa and Asia that are at a stage where they're looking at scaling and leveraging mobile technology and work with mobile operators to to get to scale and i'm also since last year in charge of a program that looks at technology and energy water and sanitation so basically you're changing people's lives for the better we're supporting people who are changing people's lives for the better it's a pretty cool good, cool job so uh, you you recently produced a very interesting piece of research around tech hubs in Africa, because this is really a locus point for where people can get together, like-minded youngsters, feed off each other's energy. I mean, these, these, these hubs have become quite a central place for so many youngsters and, and so much of the community to coalesce into a place where they can work together. And of course, that, that kind of hive mentality creates uh, energy and enthusiasm and it lets people meet other developers or someone in marketing or someone who understands the business side of things and and then and it's been it's been very good for the development of technology in africa uh in general hasn't it yeah yeah definitely and uh, i always like to go back to the history of why we looked at doing that map and and uh, counting of tech hubs basically is that when we launched our fund back in 2016 we wanted to identify the be the best startup the most promising uh, uh, projects ar around africa and we realized that if we wanted to do that we needed local players who knew the market and could basically direct us to like the three new upcoming teams that were developing were onto something really good and basically those people are the tech hubs and as you said we live in a world that's more and more like digital mobile and so on but you need these anchor points you need somewhere where people can meet you need somewhere where people can find mentors can find experts and so on and this is what the tech hubs are doing and this is why this is why we did that first research in in 2016 and uh, given like the amount of interest it got kept updating it since then I mean, I've, I've had a lot of personal experience with the iHub in Kenya. I often go to Nairobi, and I, every time I go there, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced more and more that that is, that is the model for this particular ecosystem and this particular age group and demographic. It, it, it's the kind, of, the kind of tech coffee shop culture that, that these youngsters need. And I, and I, and I see it in the, in the iHub. It's moved to a new venue now, but it's, it's retained that same... Uh, integrated or integrity and passion 
Yeah, it, it has, and that's what we see from the most uh, um, successful tech hubs. Is basically they have they have evolved from the first idea, which was just creating a space where people could meet, to just add a lot of services, uh, and and they basically evolve with their ecosystems. I mean, the ecosystem in Kenya today is not what it was a few years ago. So you need now people expect links with investors. Like some of them have launched like training uh, training programs. I was in Benin. Definitely not the country with the most uh, uh, with the most tech hubs, but I was with Etri Labs uh, uh, two or three weeks ago, three weeks ago, and and basically this is what they did. They just designed program after program that basically answers specific needs, and then we met. They have now like a 12 month training uh, program, like a, a school basically for women who are interested in digital uh, um, digital jobs and get like 12 months of training in terms of like design, social media and so on to find those jobs. So yeah, the, the offering basically comes from the, the needs of the market. Indeed, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear about the, the, the digital skills training because of course, so many people in the developed world pick up these skills as part of a, you know, a formal education or, or industry experience. For so many people in emerging markets, it's very hard to just pick up these very basic uh, skills if you live in the developed world. It's fantastic, especially young women. Yeah, definitely. And th- there's here, there's, um, th- there's, there's a divide, basically. What we're seeing, and, and you can see that if you read our, our latest mobile economy report, is that there's a new generation that are digital natives. It is happening in Africa the same way it's happening uh, uh, around the world, except that the size of that generation in Africa is, is much bigger. So there is, there is this potential coming out there. They know all the basic. They've, they've had a mobile phone since as early as they can remember. Not always theirs, uh, but sometimes their families. Um, and yeah, the the importance uh, um, for them to get that training and get to a higher level of skills is actually is actually super important. You mentioned digital natives, and it's 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 a phrase uh, Douglas Rushkoff, the the writer, came up with, and I use a, a a variation of that, which in South Africa we we talk about people born after the ninety four elections, after democracy arrived in our country, and we call them born frees, and I call them digital born freeze you know you speak to these youngsters and you say we didn't have the votes and they go Pleh. you go we didn't have airtime or cell phones or wireless broadband and they go oh my god how did you live so these digital born freeze i mean they are embracing technology in a way that a previous generation you know generations 20 years that makes you and i a little bit older than them they're embracing it in a, in a, in a native way aren't they they are just going for it yeah, definitely. And they, I mean, for them, mobile is, is part of their toolbox. And, and what I really like is that they look at the, the problems and the opportunities in their markets, in their, in their particular sector, and basically just say, how do I use technology to solve that? Which is maybe not what the previous generation was doing, was more like, okay, there's a starting from technology, like technology is something new, there is mobile here, what can I do with it? Now it's like the other way around. It's like, there is a problem, you can't, you can't access funding if you're a, a farmer in a rural area like how do i design a solution that basically moves the money from urban areas where people are looking for investing opportunities to rural areas like what farm crowding is doing in nigeria so i really like this as you said like born free born born mobile uh, um, point of view well, there we go we've coined a phrase born mobile um let's let's just take a look at this research because I've, I've i've just written an article about it and i'm really impressed at the at the quite accelerated growth i mean 40 percent uh year on year in terms of the number of of active tech hubs so you discuss you de, you know you define hubs differently they're active if they 
they're doing a, v- a variety of things that make them they're not just a, a room where people sit and drink coffee um, and use free internet they, there's there's more participatory and, and there are now 618 active tech hu- active tech hubs in Africa and that's a, a 40% increase from the 442 from 2018 this is encouraging isn't it 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 is definitely encouraging and you're saying 618 but there might already be 620 because it's moving so fast um just going back to the definition because it's quite important and people know what we're talking about what we're calling tech hubs here are organizations as you said that are active that have a physical local address um and that offering like facilities and support to uh, to local entrepreneurs so as you said there was a 40 percent leap um, compared to the study that we did last year, it's the, the number today is almost double to what we counted in 2016. So that's definitely a, a growth. Um, what we're seeing is that this growth is like shared among a lot of markets. We still have like four markets that, that drive uh, these numbers. So Nigeria is the first one uh, with 85. It actually uh, passed South Africa in this, the, this year's count compared to last year. South Africa is about 80. We won't take it personally. No, no, you shouldn't, because uh, 80 is still a, a very large number. Um, Egypt comes third with 56, and then Kenya, Kenya at almost uh, almost 50. Um, what we did also this year is that we looked at a more granular level and looked at cities, um, because what we realized is that in a lot of cases, basically the, the capital, the main economic city, uh, um, concentrates a lot of the capital, a lot of the activity. But what we're seeing now is like still Lagos, Cape Town, and Cairo as the top three, uh, but Nairobi and Joburg are actually uh, uh, like right right behind them. Um, and what's interesting about South Africa in particular is that you have two cities. You really have Cape Town and Joburg, which is only emerging in uh, in other other locations. Uh, the top 10 cities in the, on the continent have about uh, 250 tech hubs. So that's 40% of all tech hubs that are in like 10 cities. So it is still quite polarized. Just to give you an idea of like cities that come right after Joburg, you have Accra in Ghana, Abidjan, Tunis, Abuja, uh, so here again, uh, um, another city from uh, from Nigeria. And then tier three, you've got Dakar, Bamako, Kampala, Dar, Lome. So all over the continent, basically. And you're also seeing the emergence of like what we call secondary cities that are like seeing more growth, like Kumasi in Ghana or Lubumbasi in DRC, for instance. I mean, this is this is significant because it's the, the, the growth is there. And it's not just in English-speaking Africa, it's Francophile Africa as well. Yeah, more and more. I think in 2016, we were a little bit, um, maybe a little bit disappointed by the numbers we found in uh, in French-speaking West Africa, but they've been catching up really fast. Um, if you look at Côte d'Ivoire, they have more than 20 now. Senegal, at 15. I would say these two are, would be the usual suspects. But if you look at Mali, for instance, they're at 14 now, or even Togo, um, which is not always on the map when you talk about like innovation or large projects in Africa. You're at 13 in Togo. So there's, there's a lot happening in French-speaking um, uh, francophone Africa. Africa and French-speaking West Africa as well. Uh, there's an unfortunate other statistic in in your uh, research, which just shows how many hubs are closing down. I mean that there's that, that's got to be worrying about their sustainability. I mean it's good that there are lots that are are opening and thriving, but it does show there's a bit of attrition. Yeah, th- there is indeed 
quite a bit of attrition. There are about like 150 hubs that closed between 2016 and 2019. And this, every time we mention this this number, it reopens, it reopens the debate around like business models. Um, because we have some cases where a hub was launched maybe, uh, maybe too quickly uh, without significant funding, but also without the right business model. Um, as I said earlier, as a hub grows and become uh, um, the reference point usually in their market, they develop like a very wide offering. They do sometimes they open schools, sometimes they do investment themselves and so on. You will see that from Mest in Ghana or from CC Hub in Nigeria. But for a lot of the small hub, there is still like, it is still sometimes a hard sell for investors to put money into them and give them sustainability. And even if you look at the most successful ones, usually in the first one, two, three, sometimes four years of their existence, they didn't manage to break even. It takes, it takes time to build that sustainability. I mean, in part, it's, it, it's due to the, the, the challenging circumstances in Africa. I mean, let's talk about the, the overall picture of sub-Saharan Africa because, you know, your, your research points out that something like six countries, including pretty big countries like the, the Democratic Republic of Congo and Ethiopia, still have internet penetration below 40%. I mean, it's very hard to get a thriving uh, technology industry when, when so few people have access to smartphones and the internet. Yeah, actually, the numbers you quote are even like mobile penetration. We're not talking about even mobile internet penetration. We're talking about people who have access to mobile. And so you've got this untapped potential um, that basically translates for a tech hub in like um, um, a market you can you can tap into that's that's a bit too small and too narrow and where basically the priority is still to connect people get them access to the basic skills and basic usage like before you launch a good mobile money services that basically will help startups build solutions that they can then like sell and get paid for until all of this is in place it is true that a the early stage tech hubs will mainly focus on basic skills and basic soft skills. Might help people like think how to build a prototype or think how to build a business model. But until like a few elements are in place, including good mobile coverage, including good schools and so on, it is it is hard to get to get to sustainability. I suppose one of, one of the other challenges is that. Um, the dominant technology is still 2G, the second generation network that turned voice into something everybody could have is still the fixed infrastructure that's available and a lot of operators are very happy with with the voice or they can't afford to go at all. The transition from 2G phones to 3G or 4G phones is too expensive for the users but I mean your, your, your research shows that that's, that is about to change. Yeah, yeah, definitely is about to change. And uh, and if you look at our latest report, you will see that in three, uh, um, 2019 will be the year of 3G. It will be the year where the, the basically the most used mobile technology is 3G. What it means for users, it's like faster internet, like better access, better connection to their customers, but also to the rest of the continent and to the rest of the world. There are still like a few things that limit that growth. Um, one of them being obviously the, 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 the amount of money that needs to be invested in the network and the other one being uh, smartphone uh, adoption, as you just mentioned. But we're seeing more and more offers of smartphone like below $50, sometimes $30, $20 that will really make uh, a 3G a reality for a lot of people. Yeah, indeed. I mean, uh, even as the world, the developed world, talks about 5G and, and, and 
what it's going to mean for, for so many people on the ground, as it were, in Africa. This is the year of 3G. They will begin to experience the joys of, of fast internet access on their phones. Yeah, definitely. It is the year of 3G and 4G will come, 5G will come, but it is it is about 3G. And there's, there is a... Not everybody remembers it. If you if you live in a city where you have 4G already, but just try and remember what it was going from 2G to 3G, like the the the, the increase in terms of speed and the, the potential that you can do, how fast you can download an app, how quickly you can watch a video. These things really make a difference. Indeed, I mean, and and they're taken for granted in urban centres because you know that's where the infrastructure has been in place that's where the general user can afford the, the, a faster more sophisticated phone um, interestingly I noticed a, a, a bit of information about the, the internet of things I mean that's a conversation you seldomly have when people are still using 2G phones but but there's there's a significant amount of, of, of internet of things connections in Africa 100 million uh, even if that's only 1% of, of, of the global uh, total uh, you're predicting that, that that 100 million will treble to 300 million by 2025. Yeah, and this is a translation basically of uh, more and more use cases being being built for Africa by, uh, um, in a lot of cases, by African players. Because as, as long as you can only use technology developed in other markets for basically solving other problems you're never gonna you're gonna reach the, the full potential uh, traveling between now and 2025 is no small undertaking but there are a lot of there are a lot of areas where you're talking about health mobility agriculture education where you can use those devices as a way to just communicate with people like you can you can unlock your irrigation pump from a distance or you can just have a pay-as-you-go model for, for your energy system where you don't have to make a bulk payment but can repay on a weekly basis only if you have this small piece of tech that helps like uh, unlock from, from the distance. And all these use cases will basically see the growth of, uh, of IoT uh, in the region. I mean, I, unless in terms of IT, IT is getting a bit of a bad press because unless you see actual use cases that are meaningful and, and, and measurable, uh, people don't get it. But in a, in a rural farming context, if you have a pump or you have a windmill and you have some way of saying whether uh, that works or isn't working, that's, that's a massive time saving, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it, it definitely is. And like access to, access to water... Uh, first of all, um, but also access to power. And it's not just power to uh, um, have a bit of light in the evening, but uh, more and more people are looking at like productive use. You're looking at like um, um, mills, for instance, or dryers if, you, if you're in the business of nuts or, or dried fruits, for instance. All these things basically have the potential to bring those productive assets into rural areas and basically create more opportunities for income generation and so on. And, and maybe slow down the process of like cities absorbing most of the growth in terms of people and also but uh, most of the uh, most of the challenges i i mean let's just take a look at the at the the broad landscape in africa in terms of 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 mobile usage and the gsma has some very useful figures i mean you have 456 million unique subscribers in sub-saharan africa and you're predicting that's going to grow by 167 million uh, new users by 2025 i mean that's in six years that's a that's a pretty decent growth figure but it also means that people have access to things they would never have had before and it's a lot of these are, are first time cell phone buyers these digital natives are going to buy their first smartphones 
Yeah, definitely. There is there is the fact that like 52% of these subscribers today are using mobile internet on a on a quote unquote regular basis. So that's that's definitely something. But even for the people who have access to mobile in the in in the first place, digital skills are, are super important and and it it does take some effort uh to make sure that they use mobile to their full potential i'm going to give you two examples we just launched here in uh, where we are in rwanda a we care campaign um where we're basically working with the um, ministry of ict and innovation as well as rural and the and two of the mobile operators here to do digital training so basically people know how to use mobile and know how to use mobile internet because you can't you can't just assume that it's start a phone and yes it is easy but if you've never done it it's not that easy another example is a good way to look at the the risk of excluding people with technology is to look at gender um, and basically if you look at the numbers in terms of like the gap of of access and usage between men and women you see that i don't remember the exact numbers but um, in Africa, it's around 10%. There's a 10% difference between men and women in terms of access to mobile. But if you look at access to mobile internet, you're at 20%. And if you look at access to mobile financial services, you're at 30%. These numbers are not exact to the, to the percentage point, but what it tells you is basically the more advanced the usage, the likelier you are to exclude people who do not get like significant... It, enough training to use that and that will be people in rural areas that will be people with disabilities and that will be women in particular yeah it, it's something that the the director general of the gsma was saying to me earlier this year based on on a, a research and connected woman and 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 matt was saying that the the uh the, the exclusion unfortunately of women who are in a patriarchal society and, and earn less than a man means that they that that economic exclusion continues into a, into a mobile or a digital way, and and I mean I know you have innumerable ways to address that. Yeah, definitely, and uh, I mean there, are the the one first step is to identify why women are excluded, and it it definitely depends a lot on the context. So sometimes it's social norms, uh, sometimes it's security, sometimes it's the cost. Um, but you need to know what the blend is basically in, in your own country to understand how you can address it. Um, and I like the fact that you mentioned the Connected Women program because that's where I started at, at GSMA. So it's very close to uh, to my heart. And uh, and the way they're working today is basically they're working with the mobile operators. Um, they're getting like putting good commitments from them to address the issue. And the first thing you need to know is more or less like how women are represented in your in your customer base in terms of mobile internet usage or in terms of, of mobile financial services usage. And then you can build a plan. Then you can just like um, try and understand whether it's like the safety issue that you need to, uh, to address or whether it's like the skills issue that you need to address. Um, sometimes it's as easy as just having women in your marketing and uh, um, your marketing material. So everybody, it becomes becomes kind of like the norm silently on a day-to-day basis that people when they see a billboard with someone using a phone it's not always a man in an urban area it's also a farmer it's also a woman it's also a younger woman so a lot of levers can be used uh, um, but this is this is very important cause not only at a social level but also at a at a commercial level who can afford to just like turn a blind eye on 50 percent of their potential users and as your as your the connected woman research shows it's a hundred and forty billion dollar revenue opportunity for operators. 
Yeah, exactly what I was saying. It is, it is, it has a very strong social economic impact um, because until everybody has equal access uh, um, to 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 um, um, mobile technology, mobile internet, and so on, um, you won't get there. But it is also, and and this is where there is a lot of hope. It is also a, a big commercial uh, potential for the industry. I mean, let's look at the, the the potential upside. I mean, we we. You know, your, the, the research, your mobile economy research says that 50% of, of mobile subscribers, that's 239 million people, are using the mobile internet on a regular basis. That's still, you know, 50% uh, of people who aren't. There's an there's a opportunity immediately for people with the phones. And a lot of the issue is that, that data is just too expensive. Yeah, but price is definitely one of the issues. Um, I think I think the way to look at it is also total cost of ownership, not just data. Um, because if you think of data itself, usually the, the, it is made uh, accessible, at least in a lot of market for users. But in total cost of ownership, you also have the cost of the device. If you want to access mobile internet, you need smartphones. There are about three over 300 million smartphones that have been sold in Africa. Um, and there will be 100 millions more uh, sold in the next in the next few years. Um, but the, the reality is that if you look at the cost of charging your phone in some places, it's it's really expensive. Um, um, or if you look at taxation, in, in some cases, it is a significant part of the cost of the device because of import taxes, but also the cost of the service. And, and finally, um, you need to upgrade your phone. So for instance, if you're looking ahead, you're looking at, at, at 4G. Um, today, it's about 7% of the connection. It will it will grow the world today is at about 44 percent so africa will catch up but that also means that devices will not have to be to have to have to be updated as well people will have to buy new devices so these devices um will um will basically have to come to the market at a price that is uh, that is uh, affordable um another important point is to look at the potential of mobile money so today there are just under 400 million registered mobile money accounts in the region. That's half of all the accounts uh, around the world. Um, it's 130 live mobile services. Uh, quite a few of them are led by mobile operators, not all of them, depending on the regulation and depending on the, the priorities of mobile operators. Um, this also creates job. It's about 1.4 sorry million active agents uh, um, on the continent that are like a point of contact uh, um, and basically have become... Uh, um, the, 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 a proxy to a bank for, for all the, those people who basically before usually only had the option of cash uh, uh, for their day-to-day -day lives and their businesses. I, I, it's great headroom for growth because, you know, these, this only half of, it's, fasc it's fascinating that half of all of these accounts are in Africa. It just shows the need and the way people are using them because there is so little formal financial infrastructure, in, in, especially in rural areas. People are finding a way to use mobile technology in a very innovative way uh, to solve their problems. It, it must be very rewarding to work in this industry where you can see the kind of growth of things happening right in front of your eyes. It, it is extremely rewarding. It's also very humbling to, uh, to see all the people who are looking at using this asset to, to make a difference. Because, um, I mean, mobile money is, is, is really a, a very strong enabler of, of a lot of industries. Um, it's the ability, obviously, to pay remotely, but it's the ability to, uh, um, like, s save time, um, and also 
make sure, for instance, if you're in Côte d'Ivoire, that that your kids' fees are paid on time, um, and maybe they maybe now you can pay them on a monthly basis and not su such a big burden. Um, but through like all the pay-as-you-go models, uh, for instance, there's the ability for people to have access to um, electricity for the first time. In some cases, to just pay the right price for water. If you look at what City Taps is doing in Niger, for instance, they put those devices, and now people instead of being charged a random amount. Uh, uh, in Niamey for the water that they that they consume like they pay as they go they know they control their consumption and so on and I think mobile money provides a really good tool to get give access but also give people control over over their money control over the way they save uh, they give them access to insurance like if you look at any kind of topic it's it's super important we uh, we have launched very recently a, a new fund that looks at using mobile financial services to digitize payments across agricultural value chains and when you think about it this is this is extremely important because instead of like cash which is unreliable um, unsafe and so on moving around the the value chain if you can be paid instantly in an account where you can then like use the money to save on the side or, or pay your bills and so on this is this is a lot more powerful and this is to a certain extent it's even more powerful than, than the card systems you might have in in south africa or in europe for instance because it is always in your hand and uh, that's an example that i always like to use is that orange has launched in france orange bank now and they openly say that they built the whole service in France based on their experience of launching mobile money in like 15 markets in Africa because they realized the power of giving people access to their money, financial services from their mobile anytime, anywhere and that it really unlocks so many opportunities that they wanted to just basically translate this behavior that was this story that was born in Africa into, um, into France because it, it is just too good not to have the whole world benefit from it. Well, that's a fantastic, enthusiastic note to end off on. And, and, and it's another example of technology and services built in Africa that are benefiting the rest of the world. Max Cuvillier, merci beaucoup. Merci à vous.